Hey there, thanks for joining me this week. My name is Tim, and just like you, I'm on a journey to discover more about God's love, his creation, and my identity. I don't have all the answers, but I've got a lot of questions, and I've got a feeling that you do too. So, let's explore together. Welcome to The Sanctum. Thanks for listening to another episode of Sanctum Podcast. You could be listening to anyone else, Crawford Loritz, Steve Long, or that new Eminem, but you are listening to me and I appreciate you. This week, I'm going to dive into a difficult topic, one that really stretched my spiritual beliefs, but something we don't get from the traditional pulpit, which is exactly why I wanted to talk about it. Today, I will discuss the cloud of witnesses from Hebrews chapter 12. So I'm actually going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. And here is how it reads. Since I get there. All right, here we go. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I've read through the book of Hebrews and read these verses many times, but recently God has been teaching me that there is a lot more depth here. I've been talking a lot about our mystical union with God and what that means to us. When I read these verses in Hebrews, I also realize that we are connected with each other here and now, but we are also connected to those believers who have died keeping the faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see the great hall of faith. The writer talks about the heroes of the Old Testament and how although they received promises from God, they did not see the promise fulfilled in their lifetime. It says in chapter 11, verse 39, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So who were they? They appear to be the dead who died holding on to the faith. These are people who are alive in Christ. Although they are not physically present, they are united with Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be away from the body is to be with Christ. Christ is our hope. They have had their veil completely torn away and are seeing God in the fullness of his glory. Because they are present with the Father, they have entered internal worship. Check out what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people in language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, this is something that all believers can look forward to. There's an indescribable bliss that comes with loving God, and it's found in worship. 
those that have passed on to the next life are just as part of the body of Christ as we are. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is being tested by the question of whether or not we will be allowed to marry in heaven. I want to draw your attention to what he says in verses 26 and 27. It says, But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him, saying, I am God of Abraham, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Again, we see that the dead are alive in Christ. Early Christians believe that the time in between Christ's death and resurrection, that his spirit went to preach to the dead. If you ever read the Apostles' Creed, the first half says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, or some translations say, into the place of the dead, and on the third day he rose again. We can see by reading the Apostles' Creed, which was written around 390 A.D., that the early church fathers believed that Christ's spirit descended into hell. And there are several scriptures that, if you read them literally, actually explain what Christ did as his body slept in the tomb. For example, 1 Peter 4, 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Ephesians 4, 8-9, Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? 1 Peter 3.19, by whom also he went and preached the spirits in prison. John chapter 5, verses 25, 28, and 29. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming. And now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. These verses are also backed up as being figurative and literal by what happened when Christ resurrected. In Matthew 27, we see that when Jesus arose, other saints also arose with him. What makes this special is that these people weren't the martyrs of the faith. The first Christian martyr is Stephen, which occurs in the book of Acts. This leads me to believe that these saints are the same people that the author of Hebrews references. They are those who died before the promise was fulfilled. Okay, now, let's go back to Hebrews Chapter 11, verses 39 through 40. In all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's look at this closely. Those who died before Christ's sacrifice did not receive the promised salvation. 
We believers today have something they never had, which is Christ in us. When Christ died, his spirit went to the realm of the dead to deliver the good news of salvation. Then they were released from the prison to be united with Christ. Well, guess who else is united with Christ right now? That's right, you and me. This is what the writer of Hebrews meant when she said, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. But with us, they are made perfect. I know that was a lot, but we're almost there. Stay with me. Now, let's talk about time. In order to understand the cloud of witnesses and the unity of the body of Christ, we have to rethink the way we view time. This is an important lesson, which I'm still learning, but the ideas really challenges me to look at God and what he's done in a totally new lens. God exists in and out of time. He is Alpha, the beginning, and he is Omega, the end. He is the ultimate master of time. Christ has no beginning and he has no end, and we are united with him. So spiritually, how should we relate to time? We have to learn to look at time not only as linear, but fluid. If I'm united with Christ eternally, and Christ is past, present, and future, then my spirit is also past, present, and future. And so are all the spirits of all the believers. Now, please don't understand me. I'm not saying that you nor I are God. We are all created beings and not equal to God. But mystically, we are all united together in Christ through the expanse of time. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that we all would be united in him. And I'm pretty sure Jesus gets his prayers answered. That means that we are mystically united with the saints today, yesterday, and forever. That means our loved ones who have died believing are still with us. We are still connected with them. Now, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we are surrounded by believers at every moment. It reminds me of the story about Elijah who sees the enemy's camp in 2 Kings chapter 6. A servant is worried that Israel's enemies outnumbered them. However, Elijah says not to be worried because those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Then he prays for his servant's eyes to be open, and the entire mountainside is full of chariots of fire, and of course the enemy is defeated. Just like Elijah's servant, we are surrounded by spirits who want the best for us and who are supporting us and fighting for us. But also like the servant, we need our spiritual eyes open to spiritual reality. To be honest, when I first started diving into the subject, it kind of freaked me out. Am I surrounded by a whole bunch of ghosts? The The visual that Paul uses is that we are actually in a stadium. We are the athletes in a stadium, and the cloud of witnesses is the audience that watches and cheers. 
because somehow our story is intertwined with theirs. Our victories become their victories, and when we celebrate, they celebrate. Then we have to ask ourselves this question, if believers are alive in Christ, and they are surrounding us, can we interact with them? This is an interesting question, and I don't believe it is an easy one to answer. So let's look at it from different points of view. Then, I'll, of course, I'll give you my opinion. First off, the Bible warns against necromancy. Necromancy is the conjuring or worship of the dead. For example, in Deuteronomy 18.10, it's very clear that God does not want us conjuring up the dead because it's an abomination. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 28 that King Saul actually uses a medium to conjure the spirit of Saul in order to seek advice. So we can see from scripture that it is possible to conjure up and speak to the dead, but is also forbidden. Now let's take a look at the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus goes to the mountain to pray and brings along Peter, James, and John with him. There, the three see Jesus speaking with the prophets Elijah and Moses. Is this something that Jesus did often? I don't know because the Bible says that everything that Jesus did is not written. See John chapter 21 verses 25. It is also clear that the apostle John had many visions of spirits of believers and their heavenly activity in the book of Revelation. So here's where I'm at. All in all, I don't believe that we should actively attempt to talk to the dead. Whenever we have a concern or need direction, we should talk directly to Jesus through prayer. He is our intercessor and our mediator. However, we should know that God can use anything or anyone to get his message across. I also think it's okay when a believer asks a departed loved one to pray for them. Because remember, they are alive in Christ. So asking someone else to pray for us is no different from me and asking you to pray for me if they are truly alive. So as we seek the Lord in prayer, we may have visions of a loved one speaking back to us, and I don't think those should be dismissed as fantasy. And I definitely don't believe that it's somehow witchcraft. There are millions of believers all over the world who ask for prayer from saints and loved ones, and it's a beautiful practice that recognizes our eternal interdependence with each other. I can pick up the writings of early church fathers and hear the Holy Spirit speak to me through them. I can look at icons of saints and relate to their story and marvel at their faith. Their faith gives me faith. Unfortunately, our church culture has gotten us in a place where we separate ourselves from spiritual reality. Mentally and spiritually, we build walls that were never meant to be. It's like the allegory that Father Stephen Freeman, an American Orthodox priest, uses. Many of us approach the spiritual world like a two-story house. There's the first floor where we live, all the human beings and all of our material things. And the second floor is where God, the angels, uh, the spirits of our loved ones lived. And let's not even talk about what's in the basement. So we approach the spiritual world as this two-story house. We stay on our floor. God stays on his floor. 
and the demons and those who are in damnation stay in the basement. And neither one crosses the threshold into the other one. But the fact of the matter is, there is no spiritual separation outside of what we create through our own sin. There aren't different levels to our spiritual reality. There is only one level. So the cloud of witnesses teaches us that we don't live separately from the spiritual realm. We live in it. Thanks so much for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed the message and were encouraged to believe a little more. Feel free to check out my website, sanctumpodcast.com, for show notes, resources, and reviews. I also love hearing from listeners, so if you have a question or an idea for a show, don't forget to say hey. I'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Sanctum Podcast. Until then, be blessed.